You have to be bold. You have to be willing to take a risk and do things differently if you want to achieve great things. And, and it's not just with sport, it's with life. And if you just follow that same thing and, and we kind of talk about being closed minded and all this sort of stuff, if you do that, great, you're going to get the same results. Like you're, you're going to get the same things and the same outcomes are going to happen. You're going to hit your head against the wall wondering why aren't we winning or why aren't I getting better or why, you know, aren't I getting what I want out of this? But if you're bold and you take risks and you do things differently, then, hey, great things are going to happen. And sometimes that means being an early adopter and, and doing things differently and maybe at risk of looking a little bit weird, right? Like we go to conferences and we're next to guys who are bench pressing and they're bench pressing I don't even know how much because I can't count that high and I've never bench pressed that much in my life. And great, they walk off and their chests are huge and, and their pecs are looking good when they take their shirt off at the beach, but they're probably not winning too many championships with those pecs. Welcome to the Offball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 beach volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and movement leader. Here at the Offball Athlete, we have conversations about what it means to be an athlete, but more importantly, a human being, when you don't have the ball, the implement, or you're just not doing the thing that you identify with as your job or your occupation. How are you taking care of your personal development and how are you investing in a way that will show up in your life's work? Today, we have an amazing guest who is a good friend of mine as well. We've trained together a ton, so I know he is all about the effort and quality, not quantity. He is an ex-university basketball player and has now transitioned from a public speaking business into being president and CEO of a new product in the movement and athletic training space. This product is called Corvio, and Matt is leading the charge on a new area called the Transference Coach. So he is taking how the strength and conditioning shows up on the field of play, and he's doing a great job in the NBA and across a lot of different platforms. So enjoy this episode with Matt Sachs. Welcome to the Off Ball Podcast. Today's guest is Matt Sachs, president and CEO of Corvio Athletics. What's happening, Matt? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, there's no video here, but we're in the middle of a chaotic living room, so I apologize. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's also a lot of stuff going on in movement culture. Let's, That's right. Let's rift on that today. So let's let's intro and and jam a little bit about what's Corvio Athletics, mm -hmm. just for the listener, because you're a fairly new product. That That's right. That said, the ethos comes from years and years of, of testing with high-performance athletes. So Let's, let's start with that, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, at the base of it, Corvio is a product. So it's a resistance harness. So we've kind of taken the idea of resistance bands and, and kind of 
trying to transform it a little bit based on, as you mentioned, years of research and knowledge uh, based on Dr. Rick Celebrini and his kind of ethos and thesis that he did. So um, at the core of it, like I said, is a harness. It's a thick kind of harness that's going to sit around your pelvis and it has two resistance bands attached to either hip. So we're able to actually resist assist in 360 degrees uh, versus most resistance bands, which is just linear, right? It's one plane forward, back, side to side. With the two attachments, we can actually go at it from 360 degrees. So we're able to train in all three planes. And and from there, we're really trying to, as you kind of mentioned, like we're trying to get at this movement culture, right? Um, Rick's big thing is, is his... PhD and his thesis, his work is all about movement strategy and how do we incorporate movement strategy uh, into what we do in, in sort of training. So that's what the idea is and the goal is to be able to take a product, a resistance kind of training product, and then add in this idea of uh, movement strategy and his yeah his movement strategy is a proximal to distal movement strategy, which is a little bit different maybe than uh, what we're typically used to. And I know that I was never taught that growing up, mm-hmm. uh, so I've learned a lot about it through that. But yeah, Corvio, that's kind of the the genesis of it. Awesome. So <clears throat> this is not a salesy episode. Yeah, <laughs> we just needed to create some context for for you guys. Um, and then I'm just gonna dive into proximal distal. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Rob Williams who created Sport Core. He, he's someone who I'm mentoring under right now and learning from. He also subscribes to that. Mm-hmm. So proximal being closer to center, being the start of the movement pattern, and then as you get more into it, then you get further away from the center. So always making sure that the movement begins from the closest to home and so making sure that the core is locked in and then we start to talk about uh the word transference which i think is 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 going to be the word of the day here i love it yeah that's great movement culture right now there's a space in between the weight room and then performing on the court or on the field of play talk to me about how you're approaching that and essentially building on the word transference yeah, um, not a simple question. <laughs> and, and you know what? This is more of a riff that we're yeah, yeah. Way to contribute to it as well. So let's let's really introduce the concept of transference. Yeah, I mean, for us, um, so even just take a step back, uh, Doctor Celebrini, you know, he's worked with a multitude of athletes at at varying levels, but really, he's. Um, working with elite level athletes. One of his most well known clients is uh, Steve Nash. So. Uh, Proud Canadian boy and, oh, yeah. and two-time NBA MVP. Um, and Rick was able to work with him and really be able to take you know some of the work that they were doing in the clinic and the clinical side uh, and then transfer it onto the court. We, I'm sure we've all seen Steve Nash. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He's not the most explosive athlete. But he's a hell of an athlete mm-hmm. because he can transfer his ability to move and his athleticism to just about every sport. And luckily, having spent some time with him, you can see him on a football field or soccer. Um, you see him play basketball. You see him do anything, and he can move. Yeah. And that's at the genesis of all sports, right? Like that's the basic fundamentals. You have to be able to move, and you can't just be able to move for one sport. You can't just go forward or back and side to side. And I think that's what um, is so impressive about his athleticism um, is his ability to move and, and transfer that. So for us, that's where it comes into play. You know, can you can you move? And we want to build resilient movers uh, with a product, but at the end of the day, it, it's doing that through this channel. Um, 
And so that's a little bit of where we're kind of going with it um, is being able to take that that training that you might have done previously in the clinic. Uh, you know, Rick did a lot of stuff with hockey players and, you know, they're saying shut it down for six weeks, two months, do a dead bug perfectly and then get back on the ice. Well, how, how do you do that? Right. I mean, how does that align and how do you tell a professional athlete to take six weeks off so they can master a dead bug? Right. And, and so that's kind of the, the challenge with it all is that, and this was kind of mid nineties, late nineties. So it's, you know, we've developed past that a little bit, but you know, that's where this all kind of started from like, okay, how do we take this idea of, of moving from the middle, uh, this core training and put that into applied setting. Yeah. Um, and that's what Rick's, you know, whole theory and what his work is based on of how do we take this, this applied setting and make it functional and, and make this kind of movement, relevant to to a sport and you know that's where it came through with you know not just steve but you know now rick's involved with the uh, vancouver whitecaps with the canucks he's worked with the seahawks he's worked with you know athletes in every sport and an olympic level so um that's where we kind of approach it of how do we take that that training side of it how do you get that core engagement and then use that in the gym setting in a clinic setting but then an applied setting as well in a a sport specific setting and i think that's where we've had some success uh initially anyways is because we have a tool that you can use in a multitude of different settings that's going to engage the core throughout and have this transference into your sport because you're not just sitting there doing bench press you're not just sitting there doing squats and Yes, you can lift. There's a time and a place for that. Absolutely. We don't, you know, <laughs> talk, talk poorly about that. You have to lift guys, but there's only so much of that that can transfer. So sure. um, that's where we've kind of taken that approach on it, on movement. You know, it, I've gone through my own journey at one point in time. Being a great volleyball to me or player to me was how much weight I could lift off the ground or how much yeah. I could throw off my chest. And that, unfortunately has an end date on it. There's an expiration date because if how you qualify your athleticism is based on how much you can move a weight, there will come a time where you can no mm-hmm. longer move more weight. And how a deadlift or a bench press or a squat shows up on the field is actually so different than, than how it shows up in the weight room. Different circumstances, more fatigue. You might not be perfect. You know that mm-hmm. that one second, two seconds that you take to set yourself up before you lift. Like you don't have that time on the court. And so, what I found for myself, especially after I blew up my L four, L five uh, in two thousand eleven, was, was an opportunity to become a better mover. And so, mm-hmm. what I've seen over time is an opportunity within sport culture now to talk about movement and a better mover equals a better athlete. And so what we're dialoguing here is, is this transference piece right in the middle, but are there any coaches, is there an industry right now, or is there dialogue in the pro sporting realm that that's supporting this talk? Like, I feel like it's pretty green pastured right now. Yeah, it's been interesting. And, and I come from a background of like sales and marketing and communications. Like I, I played college basketball. I grew up playing sport and that's always been my life. But as a professional, I'm not a strength coach. I'm not an athletic trainer, anything like that. So, um, once I started diving deep into this and, and learning from Rick and, you know, our team's work, 
it's kind of like this is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Like you know, this is this makes sense to me. And, and being that I I didn't go through that kind of similar process of of you know trying to lift as much as I can, I learned at a relatively younger age when I was in college. Like okay, if I can move well outside of the court, then that's going to transfer on to to my basketball. Like I don't want to be the biggest guy because I'm not similar to Steve. Not comparing my athleticism to him at all, but. I wasn't the biggest guy. I wasn't going to jump out of the gym. I wasn't explosive like some of the athletes I was playing against. Well, how can I, you know, find that edge? And for me, it's staying on the court, being faster, making sure I had the cardio. So I kind of got that already. Mm-hmm. And then I dove into this world. And, and for us, like we focus very much on the elite athletes. So we are working with professional teams. And to be honest, at, at the beginning, I was just flabbergasted by the conversations and the culture of it um, that, they were just so focused on how much can you bench? How much can you live? Like it was wild to me. It didn't make any sense, especially when you're looking at sports like basketball, which is so movement based that a bench press or a squat or a deadlift only shows up, as you mentioned, a couple of times in a game, Mm -hmm. whereas movement and being able to stay on the court, that's relevant all the time. So I was pretty I wouldn't say disheartened, but I was kind of confused by it all, especially our first interaction with kind of the market was we went down to this um, conference in in the U.S. and I came back and we talked about it. I was like, I was kind of bummed about it, but at the same time, it was a great learning from us. And this conference is arguably one of the biggest strength and conditioning coaches uh, conferences in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Predominantly their uh, market is NCAA coaches. Um, and a majority of them are uh, football guys. And so we went in there, and, and we were a brand-new product. No one had heard of us. I didn't expect to sell hundreds of them, but I expected to sell a couple. And we came out of there being like, holy shit, what have we got ourselves into? Mm-hmm. You know, and just because they, they see these little bands, essentially, right? They see these little bands, and they're like, oh, well, we've seen that before. We we do band work. and 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 you just they don't even have the conversation. Right. Right. And I think that's what the challenge is, is, is let's just have a conversation, put it on, put on the harness. Cause I promise you, you've never felt anything like this because we're, you know, resisting, assisting from 360 degrees. It's not just that straight tension. So that was our first foray into it all. Let's <laughs> say, uh, we've gone up from there, which has been great. And, and to the original question is like, yeah, we have found, uh, that there is a dialogue there. Um, it is smaller than what we would have hoped for sure, but it is growing. And you know, we've been in business now for kind of nine months and, and it's definitely grown. And we've changed the way we've talked about it too. And once we started really talking about transference and, and that kind of ability, people really kind of perked up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of you know been our journey to go through this of how do we speak about this? How do we market our product um, in a way that makes sense to other people rather than just talking about resistance bands and that sort of thing, what people are pretty familiar with. Um, but you have some organizations out there that are super focused on this um, and really all ears and, and they'll have us come in and they want to learn from us. They want to learn as much as they can. Um, is it every team in the NBA, NFL, NHL? No, uh, but it's it's a good majority of them, especially we've had really good success in the NBA. Um, thanks, obviously, to Steve. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they a lot he's of... He's co- a pretty good champion. Yeah, <laughs> he's not time MVP. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he improved in the tail end of a career. Mm-hmm. Tough to do. Exactly, you know, yeah. He also could have played pro soccer. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, how he prides himself on movement. And I've always looked up to him coming out of Vancouver, you mm-hmm. know, unbelievable. And, and it's also nice to see him also take a leadership role within some of the, uh, some of the teams. And I think he's, he's with the warriors. warriors. Yeah. Yeah. So he works with them. And, and so because of that, he's touched kind of enough people in the game that people are like, Oh yeah, he, he did do things differently. And you had that, he had that longevity and I think people realize that and they can kind of make that correlation. Um, and not only was it, you know, what he was doing, it was all derived from Rick and Dr. Celebrini and what he was doing. So people are like, Oh yeah, you had that kind of maybe different crazy guy doing stuff with you that looked very different at the time. Um, yeah, like let's let's hear about that sort of thing. So from that standpoint, we've had some good luck with a champion there, especially in the basketball uh, world. But sure. you know that's gone over and in, into football, and we're with NFL programs as well. So it's starting to happen. <laughs> well, it, it's you know the world that I'm living in now, getting back into youth sport and getting it back into athlete development, mm-hmm. and seriously looking at where's the room for opportunity. And there's so many people that are focused on the on-ball skills and, and trying to squeeze so much out of that. Like, well, you only have the ball 1% to 5% of the time. So arguably, 95 to 99% of the time, there's room for opportunity, but you can't have the ball at that point. And it's the, the mm-hmm. movement, the soft skills, and the ability to take what you can do in the weight room or what you can do within a practice where you have a periodized boom, am I building strength and building capacity within a certain area? And then now move that three-dimensionally. And you said that earlier, which I think is so important. There's a lot of people that train linearly. Like that would be my, you know, my yeah, exactly, yeah. early days, my call out on CrossFit was, well, like you only have to go one way or two forward and backwards and vertically, right? Like there was no lateral stability. And so even now we're starting to see more athletes that are crossover athletes that, you know, sprinters getting into football are blowing out their knees. Well, they've never had to cut before. And so the idea that you're, you know, my, my conversation is, is this intention, integrity, intensity. We're all focusing on the intensity and squeeze more and more out of this whole intensity game which is i'm putting in the work and i'm grinding but you know where's the intention i think there's a lot of great room for youth it's not about getting strong early it's about building that movement capacity so you know what are some founding principles and you know once again we're talking about this implement that you have this isn't salesy at all but this is also this is an opportunity to talk about the the ripple effect that you guys are making within the community because it is about movement. You're just accessing movement through the product that you guys have created. Yeah, for sure. And I'd even say that it's the, the, the product is a tool to, to be able to do it. Uh, but all of these things can be done without it. Right. Right. I mean, Rick, um, and his thesis is, is about proximal distal movement strategy, as we mentioned. And he specifically was looking at, uh, adolescent, female ACL tears. So he was looking at, can you implement this proximal to distal, this novel movement strategy to help reduce those things? And so you talk about moving laterally. Uh, one of the tests that they did was a side cut, right? And, and so when you're talking about that and you're looking at, at knee flexion, like how much is your knee bent at that time of the side cut? Well, if it's not bent, then you have a higher risk of, of doing your ACL. Whereas if you can get down deep, low into that position and make that cut, uh, then then you're going to actually help save your knees. So um, our product helps you do these things. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to to train this, you know, proximal to distal movement strategy. He calls it a core pack movement strategy. You can help 
do that with it, but you can do these things on your own in your living room, right? Like we clear a little bit of space right here and we can just do skater hops side to side. And for us, our cues are staying deep, staying athletic within those movements. So we don't want to stand up at all times. And, and it's about to being deliberate. And I think, you know, when you're looking at that kind of that integrity, you know, the integrity of it, how do you look at the integrity of the movement? Right. Cause we really go to intensity always faster, faster, faster. Let's go side to side. How many times can you get back and forth? But can you actually do that skater hop land laterally and, and land and stick it and then be able to take that load and transfer it and make another cut. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not about the first movement. It's usually about the second or third movement, which you actually have to do in a game situation. Sure. Right. Like we can make a really quick first step, but how do we recover from that? And if we're standing straight up, then we're more likely to, to have injury there. Yeah. So we look at that and, and our cues are staying deep, staying athletic uh, and being able to to make that second move um, out of things, because that's really where I think the difference is. And and being able to engage that that core pack movement strategy. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff can be done at any time, anywhere, which is awesome. And but you have to have that intention about it as well. You know, I, I look at like, how, how have we gotten to this place? And so like, A, why haven't we evolved really quickly? Because there's been a ton of injuries. A lot of sporting cultures or institutions within sport have been fairly rigid. And I'd like to say there's some more progressive sports or cultures than others. But we look at, let's say, the NFL Combine, for instance. That second move that you're talking about, which I believe athleticism, you, you, like, how do you make a move but stay in the game for a second move, third more move, tertiary move? Like, how can you make more moves than the other guy while staying in control? Hmm. Arguably, is athleticism, right? You got yeah, I, yeah, you know, exactly, absolutely. Whatever time your sport is in terms of that game or that half or that quarter, you got to tie things together. And the more efficient you are at tying those things together the better you are. But that's what athleticism are, right? is, right? It's, yeah. it's moving. It's not just being able to do boom, one thing. Maybe it is if you're doing a 60 meter sprint, maybe if that's your sport, fine. But most athletes are not doing that. As you mentioned, we're going side to side. We're going forward and back yeah. um, in our, in our movements. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what, let's, let's even use the simple example of a sprint. You know, you have multiple phases in a sprint, but if you're thinking that I'm going to sprint faster by throwing my arms harder or kicking my legs more, now you're automatically in the distal movement strategy, which is Mm -hmm. further away from your center. So there's more to be gained by owning the center of your body and then expanding that control, which is over time, right? That, That whole progression of an athlete over time, which is why, you know, I really see the value in doing this as a, at a young age, buying into two or three years of becoming the best mover possible. And what we're seeing is people's hips aren't their hips. They can't have access to their hips, and therefore their knee or their lower back needs to make up for the inability for the hip to be the hip. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing a ton of injuries, knees and hips, all kinds. Ankles are locked up. That does a ton for the body. Lower back takes takes a rift on a lot, and then therefore, you know, that lower back and thoracic opening turns into a shoulder injury or pitchers, elbows. You know, we're not able to solve as many problems within the movement. So, you know, that was a bit of a rant, but get out there and move. That's right. right? right? We got yeah. we, we got to create a culture of movement where movement's the priority. Strength supports the movement versus strength is everything. And then all of a sudden you're just out in the field. So 
there was an interesting piece of conversation that we had a couple days ago where, you know, you're, you're bringing this idea forward, you know, your product represents movement. And there was some concern or some people were scared to use it because they didn't want to hurt their athletes. You know, talk to me about a, you know, we're just moving here. So there's no way. So it's totally safe. But like, you know, that shows something not ne- is not necessarily is wrong, but the community might not necessarily be thinking about the opportunities. Yeah, um, not to put anyone on blast by any means, but it was just surprising to me. And again, because I came from this non-athletic, necessarily uh, strength and conditioning background, I'm learning as I go, and I'm like, yeah, okay, like I'm smart enough to put X and Y together, or one and one together, and that makes two. Like that makes sense to me. I, I can see the value in that. And you know, we as a company are like, okay, how can we get our product out there? Well our main market is, is professional sports. Maybe we should just go and give them to professional sports teams. That seems to make sense. Right. Yeah. But then they go and and they don't use them. They sit there and I'm like, okay, well, why are they sitting there? And I have those conversations with people in those programs and well, we didn't really know how to use it. I'm like, okay, did you try? Well, yeah, we kind of did this and this, but we were really worried about hurting our athletes. So, well, what else do you do with your athletes? Are you lifting them? Are you using kettlebells? Are you putting stuff above their head? Yeah, you know, we do all those normal lifts. Okay. How is this band going to hurt people? And I think that's been the interesting thing. People just see something that's new and they just kind of get off put by it. Mm -hmm. They've been using kettlebells. They've been lifting guys for years and years and years. It's what their coaches did before them. So that's what they're used to. Whereas with this, because there's this harness and it's this different kind of fixture, well, maybe I'll pull too hard and it'll pull his hip out of his socket. Like, I, I don't know. Like, for me, I, I just is like it just kind of didn't make sense. I'm still <laughs> trying to search for words on it, you know. And 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 that was kind of the reaction you got. But then once you're able to take the time, you know, it doesn't take much time. But you take 60 seconds or a couple of minutes with him. Like, oh, okay, okay. So I can do this and this. And you're like, yeah. But you kind of have to play with it. You have to, and I think the biggest thing is you have to have an open mind. And I think that's where in this conversation things get lost. It's not because they don't actually know how to use it or are scared to use it. It's because they don't have an open mind to be able to try something. Love that, man. And I think that's where we have a challenge, not just with our product as a company, but as kind of that community, as you say, um, that we have to be open-minded enough to try new things and look at alternatives versus just doing things the way we were taught. Yeah. And that's not even that unique within sports. That's, you know, that's a societal yeah. thing, right? Just because like, we did it a certain way doesn't mean that we have to do it that way forever. Exactly. And, and I think we've figured that out in other aspects of our life, but for whatever reason, I think this is maybe a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we see it all the time. Like, and I'm sure you've seen this with coaches, like strength and conditioning coaches are an interesting group because they're very um, centered on their philosophies. Yeah. And everybody has their own philosophy. Well, that's, that's their ego, man. They have to think that way because like my strategy and my team are doing my thing and that that's why I'm here. Sure. And that, that's why we're going to, you know, get this result. And they're like... I didn't, I had no idea about that before I got into this. So I've learned a lot about that. I'm like, okay, cool, but can't you have other, like other mm-hmm. ideas? And, and I think it just, we're just trying to explore that with people. And, and that's 
why we started talking about transference. And that's why we started talking about doing things in an applied setting. Yeah. Because that kind of spoke more um, to people. So when we were able to kind of rephrase it a little bit and talk about doing applied work or work in applied setting, the, the conversation shifted a little bit, not just to like, okay, how much can you bench? How much can you uh, lift? It changed. So we were able to actually talk about, you know, whatever it may be like endurance, something like that and, and how the core can actually engage that and, and help that along. So for sure, I think that's been kind of the interesting thing, but it, yeah, just being closed minded, I think to, to even trying something. So coming out with a new, fairly advanced product that's that's small it's not very showy um there's not a lot of people doing it there's not a lot of institutions or pro athletes or teams doing it talk to me about how challenging or what you experienced breaking into athletic culture while this mindset was still very fixed on the strength room so yeah i mean for us it's a little bit interesting because as you say it's not a showy device um if you're wearing a dark shirt you might not even see that someone's wearing a harness and that's something that we've kind of learned okay um, how do we approach this? And it's it's taken time for sure, and, and we'll continue to evolve at that. Uh, but I think that once we're able to show that, okay, this is not some random thing that we've just jimmied together. There's a lot of thought here, and, and a lot of other people are relating to it. So being able to, to show people that... Um, you know, LeBron James uses it. The Cleveland Cavaliers are all about it. And the Minnesota Vikings use it. And, you know, European professional soccer teams are using it. And making sure we can kind of create a level of comfort almost. Because just like anything, people don't want to be the first always, right? Yeah. They don't want to be that kind of like early adopter. They buy this thing, they expect the world, and then it's, it's just like shit. Like it doesn't work, right? And we're really careful. We don't put any kind of labels. I'm like, gonna give you a six pack. It's gonna help this, this, right. and this, right? We don't do any of that and don't make any claims. Still, people don't want to be wrong. They don't want to be the first. Um, and they, they're not always willing to take a risk. Now, there are some people out there that are. And we're really happy that those early adopters exist. But I think that's how we've been able to get them a little bit, at least initially, is just to kind of show them, like, this isn't this, I don't know, like, yoga e like, magical, I don't know, like, weird thing. This is actually has a lot of merit. Um, and, and there's a lot of... Um, thought process that has gone into a lot of research a lot of athletic research not just this willy-nilly sort of thing and so once we were able to kind of demonstrate that and then we can kind of say okay it's used by the golden state warriors and it's used by the san francisco 49ers and that starts to get people perking up a little bit yeah and and they they realize like oh okay we're not going to be the only people doing this, like other people are doing it too. Uh, so there must be kind of merit uh, and value in it as well. See, I, I love the, not to overplay the word, but the transference of that just for life, dude. You Absolutely. Know, like, yeah. Like, it does what it comes down are, to. Like they're talking about movement, talking about something that's not sexy. It's kind of that sleeper thing, but taking charge of the way that you move is, is kind of that, that missing piece for a lot of people. But investing time in it you got to believe in it you right? have and to that, that early yeah. adopter piece if there's something that like oh no i'm not going to touch that because it's not proven yet you guys are in the midst of that but it, it's proven it is but mm-hmm. it might not be sexy so just for the young athletes out there or people that are looking to improve their game like sometimes you got to be bold sometimes you got to do things that other people aren't doing and you got to believe in that application and, and see it through 
I think that's a really good segue and kind of in way to describe, you know, our founder and Steve. He did things a lot differently. I mean, he's a six foot two, six foot three white guy from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. And now he's a two-time NBA MVP, however many time all-star, one of the best players to ever play the game. But he did things a hell of a lot differently to be able to get to that. And he took a different path. And I think as you kind of talked about like you have to be bold you have to be willing to take a risk and do things differently if you want to achieve great things and and it's not just with sport it's with life and if you just follow that same thing and and we kind of talk about being closed-minded and all this sort of stuff if you do that great you're gonna get the same results like you're you're gonna get the same things and the same outcomes are gonna happen you're gonna hit your head against the wall wondering why aren't we winning or why aren't I getting better or why you know, aren't I getting what I want out of this? But if you're bold and you take risks and you do things differently, then, hey, great things are going to happen. And sometimes that means being an early adopter and, and doing things differently and maybe at risk of looking a little bit weird, right? Like we go to conferences and we're next to guys who are bench pressing and they're bench pressing. I don't even know how much because I can't count that high and I've never bench pressed that much in my life. And great, they walk off and their chests are huge and, and their pecs are looking good when they take their shirt off at the beach. But they're probably not winning too many championships with those pecs. So, yeah. you know, that's what it comes down to. And and, and not always the sexiest product maybe out there, but uh, it'll definitely help you kind of get past that next stage and more than maybe benching another 50 pounds would. Well, I, I think of, you know, conditioning. Spent the last five years outside of sport building a conditioning method and now, you know, taking those learnings and, and doing my best to influence sport and, and I really have come to realize that learning how to do a skill when you're fresh and then learning how to perform that skill when you're dead tired is two different sides of the coin. Just because you can do it fresh doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it when you are just at the point of breaking in the championship game when you need that cut. you know. And, and so if you're bagging yourself somewhere but you're not performing the skill – you may not have access to that skill when you're tired. And I'm sure that we'd be able to chart a lot of athletes' performance dipping at the tail end of games because your ability, your capacity to hold on to quality at the end of a game may not be there. And so where I kind of want to take this is, you know, we're not talking about living at 100% all the time, right? This is not what this is about. Like, as an athlete that's looking to make moves – yeah, there's, you need to push yourself to 100% and, and train your muscles and your body to, to be able to handle that. But I think the application of the core VO and, and also what I'm talking about in terms of movement control, just how do you control your body? Like there's a lot of space there in recovery, right? Getting a really good recovery sweat. You know, I need to recover doesn't mean go sit on your ass. That's right. Yeah. You, still, you still need to move. Sure. You can still go slowly, take the momentum out, move through things, still get this like that really thick sweat that comes from the center of the body when you're going slowly and controlling it and you're going in. Like there's so much room on the recovery side, adding breath to that through mm-hmm. the art of breath that I, I'm seeing. There's a whole other layer of breathing. I think there's more to be gained from the recovery side. So have you guys tapped into the niche of talking to teams and coaches and athletes around, hey, you know, you have your games, you have your high-level practices, but this fills a void 
in in the area where rather than resting, you can still get on the court a little bit and, and, and mess around with some of the movements. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We actually haven't really got to the kind of that active recovery um, component, um, which is definitely somewhere where you know we see this living um, as well, and and we have the ability to to make this a really high, you know. Um, high intensity, I guess you could call it, you, yeah. you know, you start running up and down a court or on a field with, with added resistance, your heart rate gets up real quick, right? Which is nice, but then you can actually take it down slow and let's, let's work on our balance. You know, if you're on one leg and you're getting resisted from the side and, you know, and different angles, that definitely gets that kind of deep sweat that we we're kind of talking about. And, um, our programs and the, the stuff that we develop has a, pretty good mixture of all of that, um, which is nice, but yeah, it's about kind of like that example I said before, how do you do that kind of skater hop or that lunge and stay in that position? Yeah. You know, can you actually hold a, a deep lunge and stay in that position for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, 60 seconds and maintain that form and that quality of movement? And I think that's where we come at it a little bit too of, you know, you don't always have to get that heart rate spiked and go, at full intensity all the time, let's take it down a little bit and let's actually move with intention and let's move uh, correctly and, and efficiently because we never want to change people's biomechanics. Right. We want to get them at that peak, you know, that making sure we can move with their efficient biomechanics in that setting. So then when we talk about the fourth quarter down the road in that championship game, they're still moving with those uh, same biomechanics. So that's where we kind of come at it from. So yeah, sometimes less is more, sometimes less is more. And we're, we're really kind of trying to harp that. And, and I was working with some people this morning and it's this, we're, we're involved with the studio here in Toronto and they're doing a class with the, the Corvio and that's, that's fantastic. I mean, we definitely see that down the road, similar to TRX where you hop in and, right. you know, everyone's using the, the device. And I was talking to the instructor, the owner of the studio after I said, you know, less is more. Get them to stick that landing on a hop. You know, they're, we're kind of doing broad jumps and then um, coming back. We'll stick that landing hold it for a count and then come back and do it again rather than standing up, resetting, doing it really fast, running back. Boom, 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 boom. Well, you're not actually, you might get your heart rate up. Mm -hmm. Great. But we're not actually maybe building that strength and that movement strategy that we're really trying to get out of this. So even if we're doing, you know, we have a couple of, of lateral uh, drills where we're going kind of doing footwork, stay low, stay deep, stay athletic for the whole time. Don't worry about your heart rate because there's a lot of ways to get your heart rate up totally. and build that cardio. There's only a few ways that we can actually work on this movement strategy. So I think while we look at kind of active recovery and that sort of thing a little bit differently, maybe that we incorporate it into, you know, our regular workouts. Awesome. Yeah. And as I go down this pathway of body weight movements, mm -hmm. controlling things as much as possible, I've stumbled thanks to uh, my friend Rob at Sport Core, he's really challenged the rotation. So I'm starting to now see rotation and and seeing some of, you know, their clients in golf. They're they're working with some high level football guys and I've all of a sudden realized like holy smokes as an athlete when I was always looking to hit the ball harder, once again proximal distal, I wanted to hit the ball harder with my shoulder and, and I thought that having a faster, more powerful arm was everything. But in fact it was actually the 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 core tightness and what the term tensegrity of snapping my hip 
everything generated from the hip and that went up my system and finished with my arm overhead for volleyball specifically. Rotation I now see is, is, is showing up all over the place. And so basketball, someone might go, there's no rotation in basketball. <laughs> yeah. are, are you seeing athletes, or, or at least now that you're applying this method to, to basketball players, like how are you guys addressing the rotation bit on the floor. Yeah, it's huge. And it's, I mean, it's every sport we see rotation, right? Like you, you, every sport has some sort of change of direction, which caught, which you need rotation to do. Right. Um, so whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's football, soccer, it doesn't matter. The, the principles are the same. We have to be able to rotate and we also have to be able to disso- dissociate our body. Right. So being able to have, you know, our upper body being able to go one direction where our, was our hips and our legs are facing another. And that was a new kind of term for me as well. I didn't, didn't really think about that, but it's something you kind of do instinctively and naturally as an athlete, just think about a wide receiver in football, they're running forward, but they're kind of turning back to catch that pass with the shoulder. Well, they're dissociating kind of their upper and lower body. Mm-hmm. But if we, you know, so if you can't do that, it makes it really challenging to play sport. If we're all locked up and, you know, just in that kind of tense state and we don't have the freedom to move through, well, that's going to be really challenging. So, um, yeah, the ability to actually attack rotation uh, is something that people really love about the core VO um, mm. because we have the dual attachments, right? So that's what allows us to do this. Typical resistance band goes around your waist. Again, you're just pulling in one direction. Whereas now with the two resistance band, we can actually isolate one over the other. So, you know, if we're changing direction, we can actually pull you know, maybe assist it. So if someone's struggling, like my dad's a good example of this, you know, 60 year old man, retired, playing golf all the time, played golf his whole life. Uh, and I'm sure we've all kind of seen this, but he can't get his hip through. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it's just something coaches probably tell him all the time. Oh, get your back hip through, get your hip through. Well, if he doesn't know how to do it, seeing it more is not going to really help him. Now I could actually throw this on and make him feel it. So I was assisting him through that motion. So he's oh, that's what it should feel like. Mm-hmm. So you're assisting him through that motion. And then once he's got it down, then you can resist against that motion. Yeah. Right. And then you're able to build kind of that power and that strength into it as well. So from our standpoint, we're, we're really looking at it from being able to control that rotation. Some guys are great. They can pop their hips through, but they're all over rotating. So how can you actually control that? So again, with that assistance motion, we're assisting them into it, but they have to control the rotation, which sure. is... How do you train that with a bench press? Like, I mean, again, not to knock on bench press, like you got to lift for sure. There's an, a time and place for strength work, 100%, but there's also a time for this. And I think that's kind of the, the idea that we're getting at. This is a tool in your toolbox. It's not the be all and end all, just like a bench press or a dead or a squat should not be a be all and end all. For so sure. that's where we see it. We do a lot of dissociative drills where, you know, you're, you're hopping kind of, your feet are going side to side, but you might be holding a medicine ball and facing straight forward. Um, we'll see that. And so, yeah, we see it and how that plays into the kind of transferring onto the court or on the ice. I mean, you think about a hockey player and they're, you know, stick handling all the time and they're going every direction. So we can do a lot of drills with this on and, and being able to create that resistance where, you know, the hockey player is skating in one direction, but there might be um, stick handling behind them or on the side. Similar with basketball, you can do the same sort of thing. Um, but then you can also use it to get square to the hoop or get square to the net um, when when you're shooting. So 
rotation shows up in so many ways yeah. that we don't even think about, I think. Um, so that's kind of how we've been able to, to utilize that. And it's a huge benefit when you really come down and, and think about it because so much of our training is forward and back and side to side, but your hips and being able to snap them and get through, that's what I think really makes you an explosive and powerful athlete. So if you're an athlete listening to this or you're a coach or just a parent wondering how to increase the performance of your child or even for yourself like if you don't have a rotational strategy if you're not training rotation in anything whether it's on the court or or in the weight room or, or just at home if you don't know what we're talking about I, would, I recommend investing time into that there's some great resources i'm sure corvio's got some stuff we'll share short social at the end uh, on, on my side guys that i look up to is adam big hill who's in the nfl He's wicked. Like that guy's a movement wizard. He's uh, he's so great. But you know, taking rotation and now moving into into the next movement strategy that I wanted to talk about was deceleration. And so you know, whether you're moving forward or backwards, where whether you're pivoting, whether you're rotating, there needs to be a, a, a slowing down effect to then be able to control that and then and then bounce back and i'll talk about that from a volleyball sense like when you're overhead and you're snapping your hip through the entire backside of your shoulder the second you make contact with the ball like yeah you want to focus everyone's always jacked up about hitting the ball harder but you're also rate limited by how well you can slow your body down so that's just one very specific example but do you guys talk about deceleration within your training? All the time. And I think that's one of the things that has stuck out, especially as, as, as a differentiator for us. And, you know, our trainers will talk about it all the time. Like, what's the point of having a Ferrari if it doesn't have any brakes? <laughs> it's so true. Right? And so, like, the first time he told me that, I was like, wait, what? I was like, right, because you can drive it real fast. That's great. You can go. You can go as fast as you want. But if you can't stop, then you only have that Ferrari for one ride, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't last. So that's what we've been kind of really talking to people about. And, and we see it especially with these high-level athletes. They're such, I mean, they're they are freak athletes. Like they, they can move so well. They don't have to rely on movement strategies. They can get away with so much because they're fast twitch and they just get to places, right? But what happens when that starts breaking down? And I think that's what we've seen in a few of our, um, at least kind of, initial people like that's why they latched on to this was because their movement strategies and they could go 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 but they couldn't stop so let's let's build on that because there's a lot to be learned here let's just say (laughs) we're, we're gonna paint a really thick wide brush you got an 18 year old kid who's an athletic phenom playing in the nba and they've gotten there because they're just a freak of nature. In, in in a positive way they're they're they jump out of the gym they're so fast but if you've been depending on that your whole entire career, at some point in time, you need something more than that, and you need to be able to support that athleticism because that type of really tingy, high, high, high energy, intensity, high impact game doesn't last long. So let's talk about the athletic culture that you've seen in the NBA. Like where are the young kids at right now that, that you've been able to experience? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's tough because when you look at a 16, 17, 18 year old athlete, they're abnormal in their environment, right? They're playing in high school or playing in AAU and they are a cut above. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you look at someone who's 15 and you're like, Oh yeah, like he's an NBA guy. And it's very early on, but it's easy to say. 
But what happens when they get to the NBA and everyone's an NBA guy, <laughs> right? They're all that tingy, you know, jumping out of the gym. Like you're competing against the same level of athletes. So now you're kind of in that same playing pool, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where you start seeing the difference of, of why guys differentiate themselves and, and are able to kind of get better is because then they start working on, on other things. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's an interesting kind of culture shift and, and some guys get it and some guys don't. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, there's guys and sure they all care. There's some guys that care more than others. And the guys that care more than others are going to look at every single aspect and leave no stone unturned to be able to get better and look at different ways of training. And I think that's where, again, we've had, you know, success with some of those individuals and teams who are going to look at other opportunities rather than just saying this is the way I've always trained and do it that way mm -hmm. and and you know um, Eric Bledsoe was kind of one of the first guys you'd see on the NBA court using our device pre-game well he's a freak athlete of course but then he you know hurt his knee and he hurt his ACL and then I think he hurt his knee again it was kind of that time for him where the light bulb went off it was like maybe I have to do something different you know, and, and he did to his credit, right? Like he did. And, and he started really getting involved. And even if it was just five minutes on the court before the game, it was kind of just a cue, a mental cue uh, for him to stay deep, stay loaded, stay athletic within those movements and not kind of cheat that. Nice. So it happens. Um, I don't want to paint broad strokes. Like there's guys out there for sure that are, are interested in this sort of stuff. Some, and, but the other thing I've learned is some guys have no idea, right. you know, and I think that the education around all of this is so low to a lot of these athletes and so that some of these players, again, there's guys out there that know their bodies that know a lot and take a lot of ownership over it. But you have a lot of folks also that just kind of go by whatever they're told to do. And they've been doing that since they were 13, 14 and to no fault of their own, but that's the way they've been taught. And it kind of goes back to our previous point of, being in that box and not having an open mind to other things. And, you know, if you're a strength coach and you played football for one guy and, you know, you've learned from his, okay, well, I'm going to take his philosophies and I'm going to do that and I'm going to apply it. And it just continues in that cycle. So what I found is that there aren't a lot of, you know, not a lot, not that there aren't a lot, but there aren't a plethora of guys out there that are taking onus on themselves and looking at different opportunities and to, to think about it outside of that. So uh, that's where I think the coaches really have the opportunity to, you know, explore a little bit and, and show some of these players that there are other things out there that they can do. And, and, you know, once players kind of try it, then they get in, they see value. Mm -hmm. And, and I think to, to a lot of players credit, if they're open-minded to, to see what their coaches are open-minded about, right? There's that transference there between a player and a coach, that relationship, which is huge. There has to be a lot of trust. And, you know, we were um, down in Phoenix working with the Suns a little bit, and um, we had one of their guys who's, who's coming back from ACL tear, and he was just on the practice court, and he was, I think he was maybe one or, one or two weeks just into starting to run, right? So really kind of gingerly running up and down. He's learning how to stop, right, which was... Yep unreal to kind of watch that process that you're like I've seen this guy play at, at full kind of level and now he can't stop but um, you know we were able to throw it on him just for a couple of drills come kind of shuttle drills up the lane and moving side to side and you could see instantly that he got lower you know his center mass was moving between his legs better and he was in this deeper more athletic position and then he 
took it off and did the same. I was like, wow, you know, I feel springier. I can move better. And that second rep, he was down deep in that athletic position as well. Mm-hmm. So guys are there. If they're willing to try it, great. You know, and I think that's where they, they, they'll see the value and see kind of um, that there is something to be said there. Do ever, does everyone do it? No. <laughs> but it's similar to their coaches, right? Well, so yeah. You know, I, I think even in, in any sport, I can go right across the board. We're, I, I believe that we're just guilty of, of getting onto the field of play mm-hmm. and warming up the modality for that sport. And so what we inevitably do is that we just move into high performance of that sport. And so you're greasing the groove of the body mm-hmm. for that single sport. But arguably, there's a human capacity that lives as a larger foundation for that high performance of that single sport to show up. And so where I'm really trying to challenge people to move into is, okay, understand your body more. Take care of the human capacity. We're we all the same shoulders, man. We all have the same We're all built the same way. We're all built the same way. Exactly. So take care of that. And then your athleticism regardless of what sport you're playing, will show up better. And then you can build on that. So, you know, I call it the, the volleyball body. Don't don't move right into the volleyball body. Yeah. Take care of the human body for five minutes. Do some shoulder circles. Do some hip circles. Get down into some squat, some hinges. Understand that the movement pattern is different from blocking jumping to spiking jumping. That you know that applies to you know basketball running board and then uh, sorry running and then doing a dunk or something like that where you, you have that. Um, well, I wouldn't know much about momentum. that actually, yeah. Martin. <laughs> You've dunked once. Come on, Matt. You, you have, I, you, I have yeah. never dunked <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I remember a story where you said you almost had it. It was there. It I was had one. Way. I've had one opportunity. I went up. And I went and I didn't realize how high I was because I was never used to being up there. <laughs> and I laid it in doing a finger roll and I missed the layup because I was too high and it went off the back rim. Uh, but that was my one and only opportunity to dunk in my life. <laughs> it feels good. I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> still uh, worth two points yeah. that I've heard. Yes, it's still worth the same amount. Yeah, that's how I make myself um, feel better. But but the, the ability to... to run and jump on the fly versus to be able to jump stationary. All of that's human versus the high performance. And so once again, talking to the athlete here or anybody who's interested in in sharing athletic performance, like challenge yourself to understand there's the weight room and then there's the field of play and then the transference in between. Such a big area in between. Yeah. And it's, I I think it's the next frontier. I, I don't think we can squeeze too much more out of the weight room. And, and the risk of getting injured is, is that much more. Like I was just on the horn with the second best CrossFitter in the world recording a podcast with him. And, you know, he's focusing on his recovery. That's where he's getting his extra bit of performance is not lifting more. It's not going harder per se. I'm sure there's a certain level of going harder as a part of a periodization plan. But it's the stuff that's off the ball where really there's the most gain, which is, which is really exciting. You guys are servicing that, which is also exciting yeah it's interesting and we're also kind of able to do that within a sports specific capacity as well where you know and i think this is kind of interesting in in this world of specialization uh where we have we do have a lot of kind of um volleyball specific coaches or basketball specific hockey specific coaches great but they don't necessarily know much about the other world 
And so, you know, with different tools that are pretty easy to apply, you can actually kind of have that ability to live in between um, and work on a movement strategy without having to know exactly what it is. You don't have to have your PhD like Dr. Celebrini to be able to actually kind of implement certain tools to be able to do that in a sports specific environment as well. And, and so I think the more that we can kind of have that blend and that crossover uh, is where we see the most success because again, there's only so much we can lift. There's only so much we can do in that weight room and there's only so many skills that we can master, right? So how do we blend the two together um, in a different kind of world? Yeah. Love it. So where where can people find you on social or, or reach out to you to check this thing out in, in action or, or uh, send any questions your way? Yeah, for sure. So Instagram is just Corvio, C-O-R-E-V-Y-O. Um, check us out there. We post a lot of videos um, of different examples of exercises, that sort of thing, um, show you who's kind of using it, that sort of thing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you can go to our website as well, corevo.com. That's where you can make a purchase. We also have a video library there uh, where you can kind of see different exercises you can do both in a kind of clinic weight room um, environment and then on the court, on the ice, on the field that you can do that are sports specific as well. So awesome. yeah, check it out there. Send us a note, uh, DM on Instagram, whatever the it is. DM culture. Kind of, that's it's the just one. the new, new thing, way. right? Yeah. I guess so. It's been pretty interesting for me, but yeah. uh, I'm into it now. So let's, yeah, feel free to give us a shout. And if you're in Toronto or wherever, let us know. Happy to come out and show you uh, what we're doing and, uh, yeah, we're excited to, to just get it out there and, sh- and show as many people as we can. Well, it's it's exciting because I'll bring it back to the conversation when, you know, you came back from that conference and it was like, everybody's still in the cage. It's like, darn it. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's so much room to move. And so since that conversation, I, a lot's happened, man. And so, you know, I say that because if you aren't, don't have movement on your radar, that movement's a practice you're behind the game. Like, get on it. Regardless of how you do that, if you're only doing weight room and then playing your sport, there's so much more to be gained in, in whatever practice that, that you have. So uh, you guys are, are leading that, you know, are, are part of the leadership of championing movement, better movement strategies, that kind of thing, which is, is really exciting. And then on, on my side too, like really trying to share that as much as possible regardless of see, it, it's not about equipment right it's that that movement iq that Absolutely. body iq yeah. that's just so good however you uh, go about doing that so for sure man there's lots of ways to do it we're we're a tool to be yeah. able to help and, and i think that's what we say but we we want to be movement experts and be able to help people uh get out there and enjoy the game a little bit more or enjoy their day-to-day a little bit more because they can move more effectively and, and how about that yeah like just not be hurt or nice cuts it. on the sidewalk <laughs> yeah running, running juke, the juke, office late yeah exactly just juking and then, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right you just engage your core at all times yeah. basically it comes down to but we're going back to that conference um in like two months so i'm excited to see kind of the progression of uh how we've kind of talked about it and and how we continue to evolve and um work with it and and then how the industry is involved are are people going to be more open and and things to it as well so we'll see what happens maybe we'll do a little follow-up there with you (laughs) yeah 100 well like i'll sync you up with uh a buddy Braden welsh who's the um young athlete development uh i guess he's he's in charge of all development for youth within the img florida which would be awesome to see some stuff happening down there, getting the youth. But 
Keep on going, man. We Appreciate get, it, man. Thanks got, for having me on. My my pleasure. Got to get this movement movement stuff. That's right uh, to the forefront because it's it's kind of that not last frontier, but it's one of the uncharted frontiers that we kind of took for granted because we didn't think there was so much there. But turns out there is. Absolutely, yeah, it's great. Nice. Okay, thanks for coming, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it.